Hello and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett Went. As you can tell, Garrett is not Caleb. Actually, today we have a very special guest. We have Garrett Went, and I'm going to be interviewing him. I'm very excited about this because Garrett is working on a very exciting project. Not a podcast, but actually a documentary. I'm just going to be asking him different questions, and we're going to talk about it, just have a, a great conversation. And I think that, guys, by the time you're done listening, you're definitely going to want to check out this film. It's going to be incredible, especially if you're a, a history fan, but even more so if you're an upstate New York history fan. So, Garrett, uh, I just wanted to welcome you again, thank and you. thank you so much for taking the time to drive over an hour to get here and yeah, and no, actually I sit down and I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, tell people about what we're doing. And um, I've enjoyed uh, listening. I've listened to a few of your podcasts as well and uh, seeing your love for the uh, Haudenosaunee people. So I share that with you. So the name of your documentary is called I Am Rochester. Mm -hmm. And that can be kind of ambiguous and really open ended. So yeah. could you just tell me what is I Am Rochester and why did you decide to take on this everything i know about rochester history it seems like a right. really ambitious project right, right. yeah uh, that, and that's what we found um you know well first of all that name i am rochester it i think it's purposefully ambiguous but uh, one of the things it speaks into is um, identity and the identity of this region the identity of this part of upstate new york the whole finger lakes region is where our focus is um the things that historically have happened and come out of this place have influenced this nation, have influenced the world, actually, uh, in multiple different ways, through business, through movements, through reformation, and in huge ways. Um, and so on this journey, we've had to really look at, at all these different stories, all these amazing things that have happened, and try to distill down, like, what is the thread that goes through all of our history, you know, that, that really establishes the identity, which from my, my perspective, it's a God-given identity uh, of this region. You know, so many people live here, and I found that so many people that I know aren't actually from Rochester. You know, they've imported from somewhere else and, you know, brought them here. I myself, you know, I, I wasn't born and raised in Rochester. I am an upstate New Yorker, but... Uh, when I started to dive into the stories and into our history, it gave me a real sense of those that went before us, though they might not be a blood relative, gave me a sense of, wow, I belong to this. I belong to these stories. These, these are part of, of who I am. And it's, and it's really shaped how I look at myself and the identity that I carry based on what's happened here. So what kicked you off to actually be like, you know what, I'm going to make a documentary covering yeah. the the high points of Rochester sure. and the, this Western New York area's history? Sure. I guess the story, it really started a couple years ago. I, I'm a pastor and of a, of a small church, and uh, there was a, a person that was part of my church for a little while that I really connected with. He's actually a born and raised uh, Rochesterian uh, of African-American descent, and he... Um, has such a love for his city, such a love for this region. Our paths parted a little bit, but we continued to get together every six months or so just for breakfast and hanging out. And every time we did, he would always bring up the amazing history and the amazing things uh, that have occurred in, in our city and in this region. And he was, I think there's a little frustration in him of like, I'm always sharing with people about these things and they seem to get it for a minute, but it's just like, it doesn't penetrate to the heart. Like, don't you understand who we are as a people? 
and the the idea just went off like a light bulb i'm like his name's leonard uh, jones i'm like leonard what if we made a documentary film and tried to capture all of this so that we could show people i mean people are so you know uh media uh open these days and so if you could put it in such a format that people could ingest it in like an hour and a half um how amazing would that be and so that was almost two years ago now that we've been chasing this thing so what actually caught my attention to your documentary was uh friends of friends were posting your links on mm. social media mm. and then i started seeing that you were filming at haudenosaunee locations and yeah. interviewing people right. for this and i thought huh that's right. really interesting right because a lot of people and not you listeners to this show, but a lot of people think that American history starts with uh, 1776 mm. or maybe French and Indian War, if they mm. even know what that is, right. or Mayflower, and then there's right. nothing else in between. Right. They don't understand that the, the history of our area actually goes back to the mm. indigenous people that have lived here That's for right. time immemorial. That's right. So when and how did you decide, you know what, we need to include uh, the Anadawaga, the Seneca people, mm. Mm. into what we're doing yeah, it was for me. It was uh, it was really um, I'll call it divine. Uh, we had lived in uh, Pittsburgh area for like 14 years. While our kids were going through school and everything, and and uh, after they they graduated, we sold our house. We ended up um, moving into Victor, and w literally one mile uh, from Ganondagan. Exactly. <laughs> And so my wife and I were out there, and this idea of this film was was uh, burgeoning in us. And we took a walk on the trails out there, and uh, and we'd been there before. My wife used to bring the kids there, you know, when they were going out to the museum and everything. And walking along the trails, we we only read one of the plaques, like along the trail. They have these different plaques you can read uh, about the history and stuff. And we only came across one plaque that we actually, my wife started reading. She's like, "You got to see this." I'm like, "What does it say?" And it starts telling this story about this woman named Jigonsase, and that's, I think, how I'm going to pronounce it. That's my best stab at it. It's, <laughs> I've pronounced it a different way, and maybe we're both wrong. Okay. But. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, we didn't know this story, and um, it greatly ties with, with one of the, I think, one of the greatest stories that the Haudenosaunee have, which is of the Great Peacemaker. Yes, it's, it blew my mind the first yeah. time I read it. Yeah, and she is the first... Uh, human, but also woman, to receive this message. Now, that's important to us because we already knew one of the themes in this film about this region is about the elevation of women. You know, you got your Susan B. Anthony's and, and, and the women's suffrage and everything that came out, you know, the first time ever voting for women in the, uh, uh, the U.S. history happened in Rochester, you know. And so the deeper we dug into that story and then going into the museum and interviewing you know, the curator, Michael Galvan. Yes. And, 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 and he said, well, actually, the Seneca have been doing that for centuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we actually found a political cartoon from back in the day where it shows uh, Aboriginal people up on a hill and the, women, the suffrage women are marching down below with their banners. And there's some little caption like, you know, what's wrong with them? We've had the right to vote for hundreds of years. You know, <laughs> it's just like, wow. Yeah, so interesting. But, but then through all that, we learned how, you know, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, you know, these suffragists actually went and met with and consulted with. And invited them to their meetings right yeah. up here in Farmington at, oh. the, at the Friends Meeting Hall. It's oh, where nice. they, I mean, they had everybody back in the day. And we'll talk about the other people in the future, but they had Frederick Douglass. And they had a whole delegation of Seneca women come in wow. 
and lead the meeting and tell them about what they do. And uh, wow, I didn't how, know that specific. How, yes, wow. very specific. Right in Farmington. Right here in Farmington. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, so so our, our eyes just continue to be opened. And once we started to see all this, we realized exactly what you said. We can't say we're going to tell the history of this region and start with some date of some European, you know, that start with Nathaniel Rochester. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? That would be a a gross error. And, uh, and in this pursuit, we have just been, our world's been really rocked by that story of Peacemaker. Uh, It's a really open-ended question I had here. What has blown you away that you've learned about Mm. uh, the Haudenosaunee people that you didn't know before? What's really like, my worldview has changed. Yeah, yeah, there's a, boy... There's so many different things. We, we're trying to include some of these things in the film. You can hit on a few of them. Yeah. Um, one was so interesting when we were at Ganondagan and preparing for an interview. There was a quilt on the wall in one of these rooms. And um, it was a quote of uh, General Washington. And um, I, I might not get it exactly right what was on the quilt, but looking at the history since then, there's a moment where he basically... Uh, orders the complete annihilation and destruction of the Haudenosaunee people. And the history that then follows is, I think at least 40 villages are burnt to the ground. And through all of that, there's a word, and uh, I think it's different in the different languages, but and I'm not going to try to say it right now, but there is a word that, that was then coined, he would eventually become president, of course, um, as the title for the U.S. president that is used to this, to this day, yes. you know, town whether, destroyer, town destroyer, whether it was, you know, town destroyer, Obama, town destroyer, Clinton, town destroyer, Reagan, and whoever. The, and the Seneca people and the Haudenosaunee is a thing. They say, well, it's, it's, you know, they have a thing of inheriting titles. Yeah. They, they use that in their own system of government, but mm-hmm. they say it's appropriate because that's what mm-hmm. presidents do. They order yeah. strikes on their enemies. They, yeah. they destroy towns. Yeah. And yeah. it's true. Every president since then has right. launched some military campaign against somebody. Yeah, yeah. And then all the history of treaty broken, treaty broken, treaty broken, you know, it's amazing. It's it's interesting. Um, when I heard Peter Jemison speak, he makes it very clear when he talks about the treaties. He says the treaties were never broken. Mm. He says the treaties were violated oh. because Peter said... If we say that the treaties are broken, then we wash our hands and we walk away. I see. But he said, no, our people are going to hold on to it. If if there's a violation, we're going to speak up against it, but Mm. we're going to hold our line of the covenant. Wow. And so he says there's been many violations. Wow. And then just yesterday, we we had the chain brightening right here in Canada that I went to. And 225 years later, the descendants of the six nations that were there... They had the descendants of the Quaker people from mm. that mediated the thing. And they even had the seventh great-grandson of Timothy Pickering mm. at this commemoration. Unbelievable. So it was to see yeah. my ancestors, their ancestors, um, all back 225 years later saying, right. yep, stuff's happened. Yeah. But let's let's not give up on this relationship. Yeah. You know what happened uh, when we were early into this? So we, I think we knew the story of Jigunsase by this point. Um, but this was 2018. All of a sudden, we got the local little paper out in Victor. I can't remember what it's called, but it, it covers Post. a few towns or something. Yeah. And here, this uh, from that the Pickering um, Treaty, uh, the gift from Washington was one of these 
uh, belts, pipe hatchets. Do you All know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I yes. think there's a better name for it, but uh, it, it, it's a decorative it's, hatchet, but also it's a peace pipe at a the piece, same time. Yeah, a peace pipe at the same time. Well, this thing was one of the gifts that was given, but it had been stolen yes. years and years ago. We talked about this on the show when it was yeah, found. Yeah, 70 years later, anonymously. Um, it was corn was planters, returned. I believe. Yes, that's right. So all these things, you know, as our our minds were just being open to these things, uh, were just blowing us away as as these things unfolded for us. So it's been a ride. Very cool. Well, we we've already talked about it, I guess, briefly, but uh, maybe you can connect the threads. Mm. How else do you think that the Iroquois influenced Rochester from colonial times and even up mm. until this day? Because I mean. Right. There are not a large number of Seneca people living in Rochester. They've yeah. had to relocate. Some are in Oklahoma, some mm-hmm. live in Six Nations in mm-hmm. Canada, and then you know the rest live down in Salamanca or out towards sure. Buffalo. Yeah, sure. But how how do you think that they still today right. influence Right. Well, they're, um, first of all, the way that they came together under the great law of peace was was such a model of of these at the time five warring nations. You know, just just a, a, an era of such devastation and bloodshed and vengeance and killing. And I just imagine a whole society of PTSD, you know, people and for the great uh, peacemaker to come and unite all that without bloodshed, mm-hmm. w- with words, yeah. <laughs> with ideas, you know. Um, and then the, the great law, you know, I've read the great law of peace. I think, what is it, 108 laws that are in there. Um, and I, how he... Uh, he basically was laying out the rules of this is how community should work. This is how family should work, how we're to protect one another, how we're to honor even between the sexes, male and female, you know, giving the power to the clan mothers to uh, choose who their chiefs will be. And that holds the, the male chief then accountable because impeachment can happen if you go off the tracks, you know, and so... All those things are, a, first of all, they're a huge influence early on to um, Benjamin Franklin mm-hmm. as he is looking to you know, put together the Albany Act, which is he's trying to unite these 13 colonies, you know, that are, you know, everybody thinks, oh, 13 colonies, they're all good friends and working together. It wasn't like that. You know, everybody was independent. That independent spirit, you know, goes way back, you know, and um, he's just trying to get them to come together. I, I found a little sketching of... Uh, of him speaking with uh, some of the sachems, uh, the Iroquois sachems, you know, about how did you guys do this? How does it work? And then even later, to a greater degree, you know, we just recently learned in the Second um, Continental Congress, uh, I believe Hancock is the president of the yes. Congress, and uh, they are actually, the, again, the, the Iroquois are invited in. Yeah. I mean, this is like in June, right yes. before yep. independence. This is the eve of, of yep. American independence. And they come in and speak. Yes. And they, they even give Hancock a name. Yes. Yeah. We read all this. Man, it was just like, wow. They call him the Great Tree or something like that. It was uh, what it translates to. But um, I, I mean, so you could really see that the foundation of the United States is greatly influenced specifically yes. by this region, by the people of this region. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I just I just think that's amazing. What I also like uh, in the Great Law is uh, it talks about reconciliation, mm. and um, you know, not to get off on a political tangent, but mm-hmm. I know that Rochester is a community mm. that needs a lot of reconciliation. There's yeah. a lot of different uh, political ideologies, religious ideologies, uh, yeah. ethnic ideologies, and right. a lot of people get very cloistered in yeah. their own thing, and yeah. you don't see that 
brother to brother, sister to right. sister reconciliation that's right. there. Right. Right. Yeah. Something I I saw in the Great Law of Peace was um, I wondered how it it would deal with religion because I figured you know you got five nations. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of different belief systems happening, but um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember coming across one of the laws that basically said the whole religious thing, we're not going to let that be what what forces the unity or divides us. You know, you just it was kind of like, leave that alone. You keep your beliefs where you are. And, you, you know, mean almost like the First Amendment that says mm, everybody mm, has their choice on right. what they want to believe and how they want to live right. out that life. Yeah. I don't and, think the great law was about controlling people. No. In fact, it's... Like you said, it's about community and yeah. about relations. Yeah. And uh, Bringing Haudenosaunee life. culture is very independent. I mean, you have mm. leaders and things, mm. but at the end of the day, it's all about the community coming together in consensus yeah. and going along with something. Yeah, it's very powerful. And uh, it is so cool to see, like you said, that th- that this DNA mm. is on our region. Mm. We, we've inherited it. That's right. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 a good heritage to have. Absolutely. There's plenty of other Absolutely. things we look back on our heritage that we're not proud of. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, for for me um, as a pastor, you know, and uh, we were talking even before this interview, you know, we all have bias, you know, and I think another way to say that is we all come with a set of beliefs when we come to the table, uh, but if we have that heart of respect and honor for one another, and truly, I think one thing the Great Law of Peace was about was. You could just use the word unity, unifying. You know, what does it take to unify? I think if if we would carry that kind of heart and if we would uh, carry, I, I think the great law of peace speaks to love your neighbor. You know, and so from my Christian point of view, these are the words of Christ, to, to love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? Well, when he taught the story, it was your enemy is your neighbor. <laughs> you know, with the, the Good Samaritan story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ones that everybody was racist against each other. You know, the two sides hated each other in some way. Uh, he's like, no, that's that's who we love. You know, uh, if you just love your, your close family and your best friends or whatever, you know, that's not so great. But when you can love your enemy, you know, that's that has huge impact. And I'm not saying we need, there's, we're all enemies in this region. You know, I think, I think... My vision is to see um, a greater love and respect for one another and a lifting up and an elevating the, the identities of this place. You know, if, if there's somebody oppressed, are they being elevated? Are they being cared for? Are they, or are they being marginalized, you know, and left behind? That sounds like a good segue because um, we're a Six Nations-focused show here. But mm. just to, to show how this spread, you know, the Seneca is how you start the documentary. Mm. But can you hit some high points of the sure. other awesome people sure. from this region or moved this to this region because right. of life circumstances and how they yeah, right. contributed to the country. Well, I'll, I'll hit on one thing first on top on first topic and then move into that. Um, one thing that we learned. Uh, so I grew up in a little town called Sanborn, New York. It's in Niagara County. Um, it, literally a bike ride, two two or two and a half miles from the Tuscarora Reservation. And uh, our family has some history uh, with the Tuscarora. My grandfather, uh, back in the day, um, he had a propane business, and he was one of the only to provide propane to the reservation. And through, through that, he built a relationship with the chief at the time, uh, Chief Loudvoice, um, Chief Rickard. Clinton Rickard. Yeah. Yes, there's a big statue of him right by the falls. Yes, there is. Yeah, and, and I believe he he founded the Indian Defense 
mm. Lions League. I can't remember. Okay. But okay. yeah, he was very into uh, Native American advocacy in the 60s and 70s. Right, right. And so my, my grandfather and him were friends. That he had actually gifted him some, like a, a hatchet and some sort of a root uh, cudgel, <laughs> kind of these kind a of weapons. Club? Yeah, a war club of some type. Yeah. Um, and so when I learned that, I only learned that the last number of years. When I learned that, that did something for me of, you know, that connection to to the people of this land, you know, and, and the the Tuscarora story that we discovered was they were there an Iroquoian people, but they were down in, I believe, North Carolina yes. and their their uh, women and children were being kidnapped and sold into slavery, you know, by the colonists. And and uh, then so they went to war. You know, what else would you do to protect your your own family? And that led like insult to injury at one point, four hundred uh, of the um, Tuscaroran warriors were taken and sold, I think, into slavery in Georgia. You know, it was just a horrible time. And so they, they end up fleeing from the area and they're coming up to Pennsylvania, New York area, looking for refuge, looking for a home. And, uh, you know, the, the five nations at that point, I think it's 1722 or so, yes, five right. nations take them in. And it marks this region from an early time as a place of abolition, as a place of freedom, as a place of, uh, of refuge. You know that are going to be a huge part of the identity moving moving forward in history. So then that leads us to guys like Frederick Douglass. You know, uh, I believe I would say Frederick Douglass is the greatest abolitionist of American history. Yes. Probably the most well known, at least. You know, he's the most photographed in in the nineteenth uh, century. Um, he, I mean, he he's more photographed than uh, President Lincoln. He made know? so on purpose because he wanted to get his he yeah. did a, a social media campaign where everywhere yeah, he went, he wanted yeah. a picture so that when people saw him, they would right. tell the story about him to to spread his uh, yeah his advocacy. And, and so in this in this filmmaking, we um, actually interviewed the great 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 grandson of Frederick Douglass. Um, Ken Morris uh, Jr. And uh, he told us, you know, his grandfather never smiled in a picture because he wanted to show the dignity. He wanted to say, he didn't want people to, because people already talked bad about him. When he came out with his first autobiography, they, there's like, there's no way, uh, you know, a slave could have written such a thing, you know, and nobody wanted to believe it until you heard him speak. Yeah. And then it's like, whoa. So in every photograph he took, he carried that dignity in the seriousness of his face to show, you know, this is this is someone that deserves, you know, respect and someone, you know, and and so I, I think that's just one of the amazing things of um, again the effects. I could point back to how the Tuscarora were taken in as part of that identity that would show up in our history. And if you guys haven't, I mean, some of you probably have at least heard the name Frederick Douglass, but. The stuff he did is just absolutely remarkable. Escaping from slavery and then starting a newspaper mm. in Rochester. Mm -hmm. Like starting a newspaper on your own sounds amazing. Yeah. But yeah. when you're a, a self-educated, yes. uh, former enslaved person, yes. and now you're putting out tons of literature mm -hmm. advocating for the mm -hmm. abolition of slavery and yeah. speaking. And yeah. he, he really is. The North Star. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. And so I think Frederick Douglass is such a great character for Rochester because he personifies uh, this region. You know, he's, of course, he's African descent, um, but uh, it's everybody pretty much agrees that he's of white descent, that uh, uh, his slave master had raped his mother, um, but he's also of Native American descent. You know, so the three 
basically groups of at the time that represented this region um, are all represented in him. And he, uh, from my point of view, was amazing. He, um, even as a slave, he came to Christ. He, he under the Methodist, you know, and he, uh, I think as he was enlightened to the teachings of Scripture, he began to realize that slavery was really not the heart of God. And um, he was he was such a strong voice, even against the church, because uh, uh, so much of the church at the time would preach this, you know, love your neighbor, all this kind of things, you know, go take care of your families, love your families, all that stuff. And then he would say, yet you do not afford, you know, uh, the slave to love his own family. You you separate them, you you abuse them, you do all these things. And so he would he would really punch hard at even the church because the church was not representing Christ. Yeah, Caleb and I have talked in the show and some people have said, well, did the, did the Haudenosaunee have slaves? And some people say yes, and mm. some people say no. And, you know, we, we've talked about it, how, you know, they would go in and they'd destroy towns and mm-hmm. capture people and bring them back. Mm-hmm. But they didn't use them to be servile people. Mm. They would adopt them and incorporate them into yeah. their family. It's not justifying yeah. what they did, sure. but it puts things in a different perspective that yeah. um, slavery was actually very unknown. Now, other tribes in different regions in North America did practice it. Sure. But a lot of slaves started escaping to Native American communities right. for their freedom. Right. And uh, missionaries there, especially the Moravians, people say, well, slavery is allowed in the Bible. And they're mm. like, well, did you read the Bible? Mm. It says you can be a slave seven years and then you have to free them and you have to buy them a house. Mm. It's like, right. um... Right. It's more indentured that servant. Yeah. 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 And there's an end in sight. Yes. <laughs> and it was voluntary often, you know, you would go and, you know, you're in great debt or something and say, I will indenture myself to you. And I don't know. I think a lot of kids coming out of college would gladly work for three, free for seven years yeah, to right? pay off their house and their school yeah, homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be on a better footing <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I digress. Uh, you, you talked about uh, Susan B. Anthony and mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth Stanton. Uh, mm-hmm. What? How prominent are they in your film? And it's really cool because I... Did you know that she was convicted right here at the courthouse up the street? Uh, yes, I yes I did here in Canandaigua. Yes. Uh, but I'm sure you've covered this many times. You know the uh, Seneca word meaning uh, the chosen place. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, she is a, a huge deal. My wife uh, is actually a, a relative of Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Oh, you know her her, nice. her maiden name was Cady, and uh, she's also related to John Adams and John Quincy Adams and. So they're from that by default, Sam Adams. Yeah, yeah. Um, But um, she, Susan, is is super important. You know, she came from this Quaker background. She started. Her father was big into. I mean, it's a movement we can't really grasp today. But it was the temperance movement. You know, alcoholism was off the charts. You know, at that time, even beyond I think the days of prohibition in the earlier 1900s. It was um, just ingrained in every household in the yes, society. Yes, right. And and like those who dug the Erie Canal, they're greatly paid for in whiskey. Those who were working the grist, the grist mills and, you know, the flour mills and stuff in Rochester at that boom time, much of their pay was just, here's a whole bunch of whiskey rather than give money um, as part of that. Uh, one of our interviewees, um, a historian uh, from SUNY Brockport, uh, said that, you know, uh, they drank whiskey for breakfast. I mean, it was just like beyond the pale, you know, uh, of alcoholism. And, and the problem for Susan and for those in that movement were um, men were spending all the money, the family's money. So it was putting their their wife and children in the poorhouse, so to speak. They would be super abusive with the family. All these problems in society at the time 
a lot of the problems anyways, could be linked to this horrible alcoholism that was going on. And so she was really big to, to be a part of that movement. There was a, a group called the Daughters of Temperance. Well, a big part of her turning point in her life story is she comes, she gets invited, the Daughters of Temperance get invited to the Sons of Temperance conference or, or, or convention. And at some point, she's found her voice. She's a pretty good speaker now. She gets up to speak, and, and they're kind of like, uh, 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 please sit down, the men are speaking. You're just here to observe. Well, that event in her life, she probably would have not been known if, if that event didn't happen. But she comes to a revelation, whoa, you know, if, if women do not have the right to vote or to voice what they believe, you know, then we will always be marginalized. And so that moment turned her entire focus to start going in the direction of uh, women's suffrage. So it's a huge moment. And of course, the, the first time they vote, it's not legal, but you know, uh, they placed that first vote. I think it's um, 1872-ish. <laughs> I'd have to look at my notes, but they, they vote in Rochester. They get arrested. And like you said, they moved the brought, here. brought here, you know, Canandaigua was such a it was sort of the capital of the region for a good while. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they just actually they just wanted the the press to be outside of Rochester. They didn't yeah. want it to be a yeah. It was sure. a highly politicized trial, and I'm they, sure they wanted it, was. it down here. So yeah, they yeah. moved it. And she was, I think, she was fined a hundred dollars, or maybe it was less. Uh -huh. But I do know Which she, ne she never she never, never paid, paid it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. So I think sixteen ladies in in they're called the Sweet Sixteen, mm. who uh, who voted that day, but. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, there's another big trial that happened here in Canandaigua, if you want to know another character. that uh, When I first heard about this, I didn't think it was going to be that impactful until we started digging deeper and, again, interviewing um, experts in this field. And that was of uh, the Freemasons. Now, Freemasonry, uh, in this region of New York in particular, this was like the 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 garden of freemasonry at you the say time. that about a lot of movements in, yes, in western new york so many things from here and uh so there's this guy william morgan who decided like some of the secret stuff the freemasons were doing he couldn't he couldn't be a part of so he was writing a tell all book you know and uh, and he went on a little vacation and didn't tell anybody <laughs> about it, I believe is what happened. Yes, yes. and so as they, they you know, the, the Freemasonry is kind of a broad subject, you know, because like our, our first president was a Freemason, many uh, of those in political power. But but there's kind of like two, two arms of Freemasonry. There's the political connections and business connections, and then there's sort of like a religious side to it. And, um, you know, here in Rochester, uh, area they took these things to the nth degree and so this betrayal was like paramount to like the death penalty you know not that they could legally do that but so he he gets arrested twice on fake trumped up charges but and brought here to Canandaigua but uh, somehow you know like you said he, he gets kidnapped he disappears he's never seen again public outcry is that uh, he's been murdered and they think they might have found a body at the end of the Niagara River right that may have been him, but it's never been proven. And so this this actually creates such a, a shakeup in the nation, the United States at the time, that the first third political party is formed, the, the anti-Mason anti party, and uh, which is really the seed party that will eventually lead to uh, the Republican Party that will put um, President Lincoln into office. But uh, this... This causes, now this is another one of our people in our story that's so huge, Charles Finney. 
Um, Charles Grandison Finney was a Mason when he was younger, but he left Freemasonry. He, uh, he was studying to be a lawyer in Adams, New York. That's where he's from. Um, he, uh, he eventually, he starts reading the Bible. He feels a real pull uh, towards Christianity, but he's like kind of like you know. Is he more of an air. agnostic atheist at the I time? I think so. Yeah, I would say so. But uh, he he hides his Bible under his law books on his desk, and when nobody's around, he's kind of what is this all about? He's really drawn. Um, but he has you know we'll cover it in the film, but you can watch the film and see he has this this big conversion experience. Um, but he is a very strong abolitionist, and some I mean one of my interviewees said that he because he was so pro-women as well that he was one of some have called him the first feminist you know i mean that's like quite a title to to bestow but uh nonetheless he comes to rochester and um there is a revival here in 1830 and 31 that is is the biggest christian revival in american history but few people actually talk about it or know about it you know even people i've talked to in rochester are like well you know i think i've heard of him you know there's a school in penfield mm-hmm. you know i've heard the name on there or whatever but he is he makes such a huge impact and it's funny because his his movement whatever you, yeah. whatever you want to call it yeah. you, know, you can poke fun at it or say whatever yeah. that, that's good for him mm-hmm. but out of that is what starts Kickstarts yeah. yes. the modern abolitionist yep. and uh, it's, feminist it's the foundation. movement. Yeah, it's the foundation for it. And uh, the other tie is that whole story with William Morgan, you know, the uh, the Freemason who's kind of switching teams. It happens four years, approximately four years before Finney comes. And Finney refers to that moment as one of the catalysts that uh, that prepares Rochester for that for that revival because the Freemasons are in all the churches and and everything and so the churches um started looking into what are they talking about what what are their practices what are their beliefs what are what are their you know they they do a lot of curses and things like that and they decided well you can't be a member in the church and be a, a an open freemason at the same time you know and so finney refers to that as one of these things that prepared rochester for the revival to come that's awesome i'm really looking forward to it so um garrett it's a very well known that the the Haudenosaunee, whenever they're making a decision, they always mm. they always look back to their past seven mm. generations and weigh everything that's happened and use that in their decision making. But then, yeah. I wish our politicians would think this more right. clearly than right. two years away from election year. Mm. They look, they try to plan out from seven generations to come. Yeah, you you're doing a great job looking back mm. seven right. plus generations on the right. history of this area. Right, where do you want to see? rochester going in the future how do you want to see i mean i know a a film can't change the society i mean i wish yeah yeah. maybe it'll be the catalyst right uh but uh i I know you've been very involvolved with the the mayor of rochester Mm -hmm. with uh Mm -hmm. her and members of the indigenous community and reaching out to all kinds of leaders It, it seems like you've really touched on people from every single ethnic religious we're doing our best community yeah what do you want to see for the future of rochester Right. Well, when we talk about Rochester today, um, we see we've discovered four huge disparities um, that they're pretty well known. At least three of them are talked about quite often in our inner city. Well, let's go outside the inner city in our suburbs surrounding the area. We have some of the greatest high schools in the nation, some that are in the top 10 of the United States. And some of our colleges that are, you know, RIT is now coming up to the level they're saying like, 
like an MIT, mm-hmm. you know, the things that are happening here. But then you go to our inner city and we are always, as long as I've lived here, you know, since the 90s. Dead last. Yeah. We, our inner city schools are at the bottom of the United States. That, that's just hard to grasp, you know. So that's one of them. The other is a similar one. We talk about the wealth in Rochester. Rochester has, you know, billionaires. It's a little, it's a little city by, you know, as you look at the U.S., but we've got billionaires, you know, in our city. And um, we, there's a lot of wealth in our surrounding areas. And yet child poverty in our inner city, again, hits number one at times in the U.S. Um, another thing, you know, this was a city of such unity and brotherly love. And, you know, after that big revival, you know, there was the jails shut down. Crime was almost non-existent for like 40 years after that revival, you know. So there was such an amazing thing. I mean, this is when we look now, though, again, in the heart of our city, our murder rate per capita is off the charts. Again, one of the highest in the U.S., usually top 15 or something like that. And then this last one we discovered. I mean, this is the great abolition city. You know, you know, like we mentioned already with Frederick Douglass and other abolitionists came through the Underground Railroad, you know, running through here. And yet, um, just recently, human trafficking, this city has become number one in New York State for human trafficking. And I do hear about it in the news, and, you know, it's usually just a little three-minute blurb. Right. I think the fact that we use the term human trafficking does it a disservice. It dumbs it Because I, I tell people, yeah. human trafficking is yeah. slavery or sexual slavery. Yeah. The, 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 that's, it's, 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 yeah. One, the, it's one of two things. It's like right? a sanitized word or yeah. something like it's that. It like, no, doesn't it's, sound as bad. You're controlling people's lives and yeah. using their bodies either for migrant yeah. work or for sex work. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the worst oppression, you know, there could be. And, you know, why why is this happening? And so my heart, you know, my prayer is that well, first of all, like you said, I mean, one film is not going to just fix everything. But if we can if we can enlighten people, if we can educate, if we can look at the big picture of all these amazing things that happened here, um, you know, the subtitle of my film is A Journey Back to Restored Identity. Um, if we can gain the highlights, the, the great moments of our history, because we got good and bad. I mean, I didn't mention this yet, but, you know, Nathaniel Rochester was a slave guy, slave <laughs> trader. You know, it's like he's got the name identity of our city. But yet we know in our history, we, we kind of flip that on its head. So uh, but here we are again, you know, with that that part of our identity you know so there's always a good and bad that's happening um there's no people group that's the perfect people and the other guys are the bad people you know we are even in as us as individuals we we have inner struggle we have our good days and our bad days um so my prayer is that you know through first of all through the enlightenment and people learning who we are as one people right um unified together despite our differences that oneness that that we can have that unity that we should have that's my prayer is that we would see that and because of that oneness it would break down i mean racism exists in our city i hate to say it you know uh, uh, all those bad heart attitudes that that we can have at times they show up but if we could let love and and through prayer and and coming together um, seeking uh, uh, these kind of solutions, the godly solutions that are going to heal this land. You know, I'll just, as a pastor, let me preach for one half second. I'll just, there's this scripture, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's uh, a great Hebrew <laughs> word from way long ago. It said, if my people will humble themselves, you know, so it takes this humility and pray and seek the face of Creator, that He would come and forgive our sins and heal our land. And that's what I want to see. I want to see the sins of our past forgiven. 
uh, and I want to see a healing in our, I mean, how does that look? I think it, it looks, number one, in our love for each other, relationship with one another. If we had that kind of heart, there wouldn't be the political fighting. There wouldn't be all the, you know, the things we do to, to push our agenda ahead or whatever. Uh, rather, we would be seeking what's best for our brother, what's best for our neighbor. And that's my heart. So now the really important stuff. Hmm. When do you have a do you have a <laughs> okay. launch date? Okay, well, release date. Uh, you your podcast will be one of the first to hear this because um, we haven't we haven't put it out there yet. We'll make the announcement in probably a few more weeks, but we're in the editing phase right now, and we've made a decision. We were aiming for February second um, to release this, but um, we've decided we need a little more time. We could hit the date and, and it wouldn't be at the quality uh, that we're looking for. So we are looking to have a premiere uh, on April 3rd, Friday, April 3rd at Hochstein School of Music. Uh, Hochstein's That's right. super That's right historical. Yeah, yeah, it's right in the core of original Just Rochesterville. Just from Open Door Mission and Frontier yeah. Field. Exactly, exactly. Susan B. Anthony's uh, funeral was in there. You know, um, this is the first place. It was the post Home. They were movers and shakers at the time. It's the first place Frederick Douglass came to visit. He stayed with the post at right on that geological place. So we're going to do the premiere on April 3rd. Um, more to come on that. Uh, after that, we are uh, uh, hoping that many, as, as will, churches and organizations that want to screen the play, we will not the play, screen the film. Uh, maybe we should make it into a musical, actually. No, um, <laughs> I mean, it's Rochester. We could pull that off, I'm sure. But anyways... Talk uh, to the people at Jiva. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we want to screen it in, in as many locations, places that want to host it. Uh, beyond that, we will uh, probably have a print-on-demand DVD for all the bonus material and stuff, people that actually want to own it. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, our ultimate hopes is to get this on like a, a Netflix or a Hulu. Nice. Or if uh, if any of our listeners are uh, uppity ups at uh, WXXI or uh, there you go. Yeah, anywhere sure. else, and you want to take a look at this, please. Or uh, you own a movie theater? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's very cool. So, about how how soon after you release will you think that uh, if we have a, an online place that people could order the film? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. We're we're working on all that right now, but right. as as close to that release date as possible. Do a digital download, or we'll probably make both available. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well. Uh, Garrett, thank you. Yeah. This has been awesome. So, oh, oh, can I just add, you can go to our website, imrochester.com. Uh, you can watch our promo on there and, and see other things on there. Cool. Yeah, I'll be sure to include all this in the, in the yeah. show note links awesome. for everybody to, to okay. click on. Garrett, this has been awesome. It's thank you. Didn't feel like an interview. It just felt like we sat down and <laughs> yeah, talked for exactly. an hour. Exactly. Well, very good. Well, I, I wish you the best in this film, and I really hope that it ignites a passion of history for uh, for everybody that watches it and that that's right people will will come away with a new sense of identity and mm-hmm. look to change their communities yeah. for the better so thank thanks you Andrew. for everything that you do and uh, yeah appreciate wish you, you luck 